0: There's something, isn't there, about seeing something so satisfying about seeing a a system, something that's been set up perfectly, engineered absolutely brilliantly, and then working just as it's supposed to. Everything coming together, all the parts working together seamlessly, and no matter how complex or how challenging the task, you just know as you watch it, as you see it come together, it's going to get done. Now, as it happens, we're studying together a letter in the Bible, loads of which actually is about systems and procedures. It's seemingly dull stuff, you might think, but done right, these things, they simply make life better. And in a world where much of what we've relied on can be found wanting, especially in the face of a global pandemic or uh, with the amplification of of layer upon layers of of injustice and, and pain in such a world, world of great potential, but a world of huge brokenness in such a world, wouldn't it be wonderful? If the Bible could show us, could show you, could show me a way that reliably delivers a better way, reliably delivers a better world. In these pages of the Bible, I believe that we can find it does. Let's um, read together just a few verses from the first chapter of this letter that Paul wrote to the one he describes as my true child, Titus, like a a son in the faith. And we're going to read in chapter one from verse four. If you've got a Bible, follow along. If you've not, just click on the tab in this online church environment and you can follow along right there. Let's let's get going to Titus, my true child in common faith grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. This is why I left you in Crete remind yourself this is Paul like the spiritual dad speaking to Titus and he says this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He must hold firm to the the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Procedures for ordering the church, for appointing elders, for teaching and overseeing. Right at our outset of digging into the Bible in this way, I'd like to point out that this model of church ministry, that of the, the elder or indeed the pastor, it's also the model of what any godly person ought to aspire to. If you've received the love of God and you know his grace at work within your life, then these are the kinds of things that we each would want to be the demonstration of that. Particularly on this Father's Day, let's highlight this, the challenge, the invitation to all of we men who are perhaps watching today. As the pastor or the elder is to the church here described, so a father ought to be to his family. So indeed, every man can be as a leader in his community a teacher named David Schrock helpfully points out this. While some men are called to be elders and others are called to a full time vocation of preaching and teaching, all men and women are called to the same characteristics of godliness. Don't permit yourself the opportunity to uh, get yourself a mental checklist and see whether Pastor Greg's meeting up to the standards here. No, this is God's invitation for all of us to grow up into these godly characteristics and be a blessing to those around us. We're called to the same characteristics of godliness, And there's not only this invitation to godly character in these verses, but also this. The teaching of these procedures enables you, the church, to be yourselves invested in them and to consider how you might be helpful to the pastors and to the elders in building a godly and effective church. So let's dive a little deeper. Uh, Verses four to nine here, there's three sentences, uh, and they begin um, in verse five with an implied command in verse five. It's as though Paul is saying to Titus, I left you in Crete to do this, so get on and do it. Uh, The rest of the passage, verses six to nine, the list of the qualifications of the elders, those characteristics of godliness we've mentioned. So firstly, Paul says, This is why I left you. Paul, he commissioned Titus to this island to Crete, the churches, the Christians there, for a reason. And we can consider this instruction, this this commission, to be an extension, as it were, of the, the commission that Jesus has given to all of his followers, has given to his church. You know, there is a reason for every Christian life. There's a reason for your life in Christ, there's a reason for my life in Christ, there's a reason for every assignment, there's a reason for every place that we live or work or study. Ask yourself this, why has God left us? Just as Paul said, this is why I left you, why has God left you here Now, why leave you on this earth, on this whirl? Why leave you in your home or your street, your neighbourhood, your school, your place of work, your family? Why has God done this? What is he hoping to accomplish in and through you? It would be such a tragedy for us to to simply drift through our lives without realising that we're not where we are and who we're with by accident. No, we have a purpose. Now notice the key purpose here for Titus it's to put or to set what remains to put it in order to set it in order you think for a moment is this is this image of a doctor setting a broken bone or or maybe an orthodontist setting uh, resetting crooked teeth that's the kind of image here Titus is inheriting a situation that's broken Shock, horror, churches made of people like you and me aren't always perfect. There's a revelation for us, isn't there? This particular situation is showing some characteristics of being significantly broken and the order needs to be set in place. Titus has to go about setting this in order and the way even the primary way he does this is by appointing those who have the right staff to lead as elders why is this primary in the church according to what we're reading here well John Stott he commentates he notes this in verse 7 the overseer is called God's steward that the one who dispenses the food to the household elsewhere in the letter that they're called a pastor that word it means a shepherd they're the one who leads the flock into good pasture. Ultimately, this is a matter of being fed or not fed. It's it's as much a, a life or death issue, spiritually speaking, as that. It's a matter of whether we flourish in what God provides or we don't. It's really incredibly significant. So, for such a big deal, who is God commissioning? It's important to note that the qualifications for elders, these godly characteristics, that they're not so much about skills and abilities, rather they're more about their character, who they are, how they reflect Jesus. Indeed, even though there is the instruction that they ought to be able to give instruction, this sense that they ought to be able to teach the word of God, even that is rooted in a matter of the heart, that they ought to have a conviction according to the word. It's not just about fine-sounding words or or the ability to weave a good story or captivate a crowd or motivate a congregation. No, no, no. The ultimate thing is to, in their heart, be convicted according to the Bible's truth and its efficacy for doing the work of God in our lives and through us in the world. I want you to, to draw from this understanding You know, what is the the bedrock of of your life, of our lives? What will inform your investment in others? What will form your character? Is it that same conviction that the word of God is the primary forming agent as it is administered to you in, in and through the power of God's spirit? What is forming your life? Is it, is it prejudice? Is it the opinions of others? Is it the ideas that swirl around in our world? Or is it primarily the word of God? Now, let's look again at these character qualifications that flow. What unifies these qualifications for the elder and then indeed for each of us aspirationally is this a word that means that they ought to be above reproach. So the elder must then be above reproach in their family, verse 6, above reproach in their character, verse 7, and have these convictions about God's word. Firstly, speaking to the the family situation it seems appropriate this this father's day doesn't it and and truthfully when we think about the church we're thinking about a family of faith a household of faith that's what we're thinking about so when the bible makes um requirements here it's because of the nature of the church It's worth noting that the idea that the elder ought to be the husband of one wife, it doesn't exclude those who perhaps have been widowed or even those who have always been single, not at all. Rather, in the first century context that these words are written, it's intended to exclude the polygamous, also within a context where where divorce was was, uh, bandied about um, without really a second thought. It it is intended to uh, actually exclude exclude the unbiblical practices of divorce that were around in their culture and to to value appropriate and biblical relationships. The following thoughts uh, about children again it's not intended to exclude the single not at all nor is it intended to exclude those who are childless uh, within their marriage relationship not at all rather it's to say that should you be blessed in marriage should you be blessed with children then there's a godly and an appropriate way for these things to to follow should you find yourself not in those situations Does that mean that, well, you're off the hook. You don't need to worry about relationships. You don't need to worry about children. Not at all. Actually, what can we draw from this? How can can a single person, how can a childless person invest themselves alongside parents in the, the raising of, of the children of the church in the faith I would suggest to you you want to aspire to these offices of the church that then show yourself um, invested in uh, things that are often regarded as somewhat humble wrongly so Children are so very precious and important. These verses, they say that an elder should have children who are believers. Now, this word children is referring to young children, children in the home, not so much uh, thinking about those who have grown and are adult and 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 some would say that the idea of them being believers it could be rendered as faithful. But here, as in Paul's letter uh, letters to Timothy, there is a strong sense that there ought to be faith in God. That might seem like a tough command. Yet an elder rightly ought to be able to inspire and to grow faith in the home, in their own children. If they are then to inspire and grow faith in the church and the wider community. It's a good thing. Also, uh, Paul says to Titus, the children of elders, well, they shouldn't be wild. So if we're to apply this, please don't come round to my house when Erin's at work in the nursery. Um, things may look just a little wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, what's being talked about here is not that our kids should be perfect, But rather that they should be teachable, they ought to be correctable, have that uh, sense of humility and grace. They're not like the prodigal son in that story, running in the direction of the first half of the story, away from the love of the father, toward uh, the sin of the world. Rather, they ought to be like the son in the second half running toward the Father's love, away from the things of this world. Essentially, as Donald Guthrie, another commentator, writes, the home is regarded as the training ground for Christian leaders. It's the seemingly ordinary domestic settings that truly reveal who we are. Now, we're to ask ourselves... Am I content for my home life, my work life, my interactions with friends or with neighbours, the the way I am in the checkout queue at the shop or, or when I'm in the car on my commute to work? Am I content for these things to be known, to be the mark of my discipleship, my character? Do these important relationships demonstrate that I am under the care and instruction of my heavenly Father? So, an elder must be above reproach with their families. And elders, the Bible goes on to say, must be above reproach with their character. There it is in verse 7. Actually, describing character, Paul, writing, goes on to list five negatives first. Things which shouldn't be found in godly character. And they relate, actually, to five areas of pretty strong temptation. It's tough stuff. Firstly, There shouldn't be pride. An elder must not be overbearing or consider themselves more highly than they should. Now, I'm often reminded, and I remind others who are involved in leadership and care in the church, look, Only Jesus died for the Christians. Only Jesus died for his church. I certainly haven't. No other leader has. And so only Jesus can have that first and total call upon a Christian's devotion and obedience truthfully, it's only as I or any other leader's uh, life is being surrendered, it's only as I'm dying to myself for the sake of the church, that I can shepherd in the way of Christ, lead you in the commands of Christ. No pride, no temper either. It's a fact, isn't it, that, that many of us, we can get irritable in the face of challenge or difficulty. I use the little acronym HALT, HUNGRY, anxious, lonely, or tired. It's is when those things are happening in my life um, that I'm prone to react, to get irritable, even to get angry. Leading a church has its fair share of difficulty, so an elder can't be prone to temper. I read this week about a guy, he was stopping off in the supermarket on the way home from work to pick up a few items for his wife Wandering around aimlessly, clearly didn't go there very often, um, and he happened to pass the same shoppers regularly. Particularly, he noted a dad doing the weekly shop with his young lad in the shopping trolley. The first time they passed, this lad, three years old or so, was asking over and over and over again for a chocolate bar. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Uh, The observer couldn't hear the entire conversation, but just heard the dad say, ''Now, John, this won't take long.'' As they passed again in the next aisle, the three-year-old's pleas had increased by several decibels. Now the dad was quietly saying, ''John, just calm down. We'll be done in a minute.'' When they passed again by the dairy fridges, uh, the boy was screaming uncontrollably. Dad was still keeping his cool. In a very low voice, he was saying, John, settle down. We're almost out of here. Finally, uh, the dad and his son, they reached the tills just ahead of the guy who was observing them. And he was still giving no evidence of losing control. The boy was screaming, he was kicking, but the dad was very calmly saying over and over, John, we'll be in the car in just a minute and then everything will be okay. The bystander impressed, astounded. After paying for his shopping, he hurried to catch up with this amazing father, this amazing example of patience and self-control. And again, just as they were by the car, he heard him say, John, we're done it's going to be okay. He couldn't help himself. He taps the patient father on the shoulder and says, sir, I just, I couldn't help but watch how you handled your boy, John. You were amazing. To which the dad replies, well, the lad's name is Tom. I'm John. I don't know about you, but I think I can resonate with that. It's such a struggle. And the frustrations, the irritations, the, the, the trials of life, and I'm not just talking about children here, dads, we can tend toward anger, frustrations, irritability, not so God our Father. Come on, here's the challenge, it's coming in the, in the shape of these characteristics of an elder, how, how are we shaping up? You know, there'll be plenty that'll tempt us to anger. It's only the character of Christ at work in us, if we're willing to submit ourselves, that will counter that. The list continues. Not a drunk, not a violent wielder of power, shouldn't be a manipulator of any sort. And then lastly, uh, not a lover of money. The elder is to be motivated by service and not dishonest gain of any form. And then follows the list of positive characteristics. The elder must be hospitable. They must welcome others into the home. They must be entertaining, both of members of the church and visitors. They must be one who loves what is good, a person of of great charity and a supporter of good causes. They must be self-controlled, having both a sober, sensible judgment and a disciplined lifestyle. The elder or the pastor must be upright in their dealings with people, holy or devout in their attitude toward God, and they must be disciplined. Again, the commentator John Stott notes this. He says, this reference to self-control comes last in this list of Christian virtues, as it does in the list of the fruits of the Spirit, find them in Galatians. Self-mastery, self-control is an appropriate climax covering everything that has preceded it. There's such a great goal for the Christian, for you and for me in Christ. Look, that list of positive characteristics, who wouldn't want to be with such a person? Who wouldn't want to listen and learn from such a person? Who wouldn't want to be led by such a person? This is God's plan for the leadership of his church. And through those leaders... This is God's plan for his whole church. It's his plan for your character and conduct in this world. What world wouldn't want to listen to such a church? For us to be these people, speaking this kind of life to those around us. Come on, where do you stand? How do you live? Are we Christians, are we as a church... Are we as attractive and as life-changing, life-transforming as Jesus is? That's a high bar, but this is the goal of what we're being taught here. Do we really have the character of Christ? Now, lastly, elders are described, they're commanded that they ought to have this deep conviction to the word. There it is in verse 9. They must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. The Bible as it is, not as we might wish it would be in our worst moments. The primary aspect, in fact, of the elder or, or the pastor's role is to teach. Teaching actually is the stewardship and the shepherding of the flock in a very real sense. Speaking of shepherding the church, John Calvin, the reformer, once said, a pastor needs two voices one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away wolves and thieves. The scripture supplies him with the means for doing both. And he who has been rightly instructed in it will be able both to rule those who are teachable and to refute the enemies of the truth. Paul notes this double use of the scripture when he says that he should be able both to exhort and to convict the gainsayers the elder above reproach with family with their families above reproach in their character and above reproach in their conviction to the word this word above reproach it's meaning that they're they're blameless in these things but it's not saying that they're without blemish that concept that word does occur in the scriptures but it's with reference to when Jesus comes again and makes us new makes us perfect I want to be above reproach this is what I'm commanded to, to 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 live and to To offer, but it's only Jesus in the fullness of his premise that's gonna make me perfect. Until then, I won't be perfect. You know, we live in a society that almost demands moral perfection of its leaders, in spite of the fact that our society has no moral compass. Now, in the church, we have a strong moral compass. And yet we act not only with a total respect to the truth, but the grace to understand that we're journeying towards the fullness of the likeness of Christ. Here we have this invitation, this challenge to the elders of the church. It's a challenge that we've said already extends to Christian fathers and to Christian mothers in the home, to Christian leaders in the community, to Christian managers and bosses in the workplace and so on and so on. Insert your life situation here. It is in submitting ourselves to the possibility of having the character of Christ that we can build a better church and we can invest ourselves as a church in building a better world. Now there's a pressing reason isn't there for those the elders the pastors those who want to lead and shepherd and nurture and teach well to make this kind of investment for Paul goes on to contrast next between true elders and false teachers truth is, whenever God's truth breaks in, there's always the lie trying to fight back. It is a fight for truth. And Paul tells Titus and his elders that they ought to rebuke the lie and not to hold back. The words used in the scriptures are as though they ought to be muzzling the false teachers. There's a pretty graphic image for you and shaming their lies. You now, the reasons for these strong words are made clear in the scriptures. Read on for yourself from verses verse 10 onwards. Paul says that these folks, they're insubordinate and they're upsetting others, notably they're upsetting families. You know, everything is rooted in this sense of family and it's being disrupted by lies. Secondly, the culture itself admits that it's evil. You've got this, uh, one of these philosophers or writers in Crete saying, hey, we're all liars and we're terrible wretches. The culture itself is critiquing itself. Look, you know, we live in a society that can critique itself. You know, we see protests in many cities uh, on many streets recently, don't we? About injustice and prejudice and systemic failures um, with, with attitudes towards race and diversity we see a consistent pattern of criticism regarding the response to the COVID-19 pandemic there's much criticism of our society for many people see its shortcomings our society knows many of its failures but even when not then go to verse 15 the Bible says the reason you need to be tough Titus is because they are defiled so even when society doesn't know its failings The brokenness and the injustices are evident. Fast forward to today. Our world may not be able to diagnose well the problem of sin and separation from God, but it feels the pain of the symptoms very, very keenly. This is why we need to be advocates for the truth of God. And then lastly, Paul says, you need to speak strongly because they deny God by their works. Verse 16. There's so much going on, so much brokenness, so much pain, so much misery. But into this is the opportunity for truth. So don't hold back with truth, grace and truth, speaking the truth with love. This is the way of the gospel. Now, the false teachers that the true elders are supposed to counter, they're motivated by shameful gain. They're probably tickling people's ears, dripping honey, and saying what they're wanting to hear and and getting paid for it in the process. And, And Paul says to Titus and these elders, refute these things. Speak the real truth, the real nature of God. And the reason is not so that you can just have a fight, Not so that you can just drop your truth grenades and run away. No, it's to draw people to God. Christians, you're not called to be argumentative. You're simply called to faithfully represent the truth so that people have the opportunity to repent and be restored to their loving father. These are hard words, but the evidence is that problems aren't solved by false solutions. Diseases aren't healed by quacks peddling false remedies. It is only truth, God's truth, that can bring hope and healing and wholeness. Tough as it may be, we must be people who are first submitted to the truth of God, of his word, and secondly, willing to share that truth in love last little father's day story for you there's a a man he comes home from work and he sees his neighbor out in the back garden playing catch with his little girl Uh, he knows that his neighbor this man playing catch he knows that he's got a hard job it's tough it's physical laboring work and and he calls out uh, through the open window to his neighbor he says hey shouldn't you be resting up haven't you had a tough day to which the guy replies, sitting there playing catch with his little girl. He says, oh, yes, you know I, know, I know it's tough, but I'd rather have a backache now than have heartache later. There's a call to invest ourselves. Fathers, dads, there's a call to invest yourself as a leader in your home, in the love of your children. Christians there's a call whether you're an elder a pastor or uh, any role or responsibility you might say I have none you do you're a leader in the faith how are you investing yourself in your brothers and sisters in the the kids of our church there's a a call for each Christian to invest yourself in the world it may be demanding but come on would you rather have a backache now or heartache later, I know which way I'm going to go. As we draw to a close in our gathering today, I'd love the opportunity to lead you in prayer, in prayer as we consider our good Heavenly Father who has welcomed us, adopted us into his family, into the church, his family of faith, and how it is that we can be so invested in one another blessing and growing together so that we can really see the change that we want to see in this world to his glory. The words of the prayer, they're going to come up on your screen now and in your homes. I just invite you uh, to kneel, stand, however it is that you're comfortable and join with me in prayer. Shall we do that together? Dear God, we celebrate how blessed we are to be called your children, however old we are. Thank you that you want us in your family. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the men you put in our lives who have cared for us, for earthly fathers and carers of every type, uncles, grandfathers, and the many men who helped raise us. Where we miss them, may you comfort us. As we pray for each other, we recognise that sometimes fathers are not perfect like you. Where we are hurt, may you restore us. Amen. We pray for those who are part of caring for children in all sorts of different ways. For those in schools, churches or hospitals, health or social services. Fill them with the fruit of your spirit and equip them for the work you have set before them. Amen. We thank you, Lord, that you set the lonely in families. We pray for those who are feeling lonely today. Help us to see them and reach out to be community to those who need it most. We pray especially for children who are lonely today. Help us to find a home for every child who needs one. Amen. God bless you as you go. I look forward to connecting with many of you through the week and as we come together again next Sunday.